Well, while they are taking care of those last little details, would you be opening your Bibles to Acts and chapter 9, Acts 9. We come to a, a, a small little portion of scripture, just a little paragraph, and as so often happens when I'm, when I'm doing my study and I'm reading, sometimes this is the kind of passage you would read and go, uh-huh, that's nice, and keep reading. But when I slow down myself to stop and look, I realize that God doesn't waste any words in the Bible. Uh, there, it's always something there that I, I didn't realize and in this passage, there's some really good things, but there, there's a danger inherent in them. Let, let, let me just go ahead and tell you, this is the little phrase that, it's not really a phrase. Usually I have some help making that shorter and more memorable, but this is very descriptive. This is like, remember titles of books used to be these really long things like, you know, a description of the red flower, you know, and blah, 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 and it would just go on and on. Well, that's kind of this one. When the church is encouraging, bold, and fears God, it grows. All right? Now, there's a lot in that little phrase that we're going to unpack out of these verses. But there's a da- here's the inherent danger. So many times in life, whether it's in business or in the church world, especially in the church world, somebody has success at something, and then someone else comes along and reverse engineers it and says, what are the elements that made that success happen? And they start figuring it out. And they come down, they'll go, listen, here are ten reasons this thing was successful. And they'll list them out, and then you'll grab those ten things, and you'll take it to your context or your place, and you'll try to reproduce it so that you too will have success, only you don't. <laughs> and the reason you don't is because, especially in church, that's not what God wanted you to do. That's what he wanted them to do. The, be- the best church conference I ever went to the one of the largest churches in North America. I mean, books out there, all this kind of stuff. And the guy said everything they were doing. He explained it. This is what we do. This is why we do it. This is how we do it. Blah, blah, blah. And then he concluded by saying, don't you dare go home and try this. He said, this won't work where you live. This only works where we live. You need to go home and get on your face before God and ask him what works where you live. How do you reach the people where you live? And so I want you to understand that. But as we look at scriptures, we look at these things, we glean principles out of them that as long as we are following the principles and not the details, we're doing good. The details are what God gives us in the context of where we live but the principles never change, the, the, the external principles. So those are the big principles. We'll have to apply those to ourselves as, as we go forward. So that's the danger, and I want you to understand that. But in this passage, we see these things, and like I said, I want to explain them. And, and just to kind of locate you in the Scripture where we are, uh, well, we're in Acts 9, 26 through 31, and so we're going to read that together. But what has happened is Paul came to know the Lord, he, he started preaching, he got in trouble, he goes down to Petra area in southern Israel, spends three years with the Lord there, comes back, and then he runs over to Jerusalem because he needs to introduce himself to the disciples, the apostles that are there. And when he gets there, they're all afraid of him. And then somebody steps in and helps him, and then he starts preaching, and then that causes problems, so then he leaves. And I'll go ahead and give you a spoiler alert. The Bible in Acts doesn't tell us, but he was gone for 10 years before he comes back on the scene. Now, in Acts, you're just reading through, and it looks like it goes bang, bang, bang. But there's about a 10-year period, and they call it Paul's silent years. We don't know what he did. 
in those 10 years, but he's back home in Tarsus for those 10 years. Well, guess who went and got him? Barnabas. <laughs> guess who made sure that Jerusalem didn't, uh, didn't kick him out, that they listened to him? Barnabas. And so he's going to be the first point we make. If, if you want to stand up, we're just going to read these together, these verses, <clears throat> just so we're on the same page together. Beginning in verse 26, Acts chapter 9. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord, and he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and, Samaria, and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word and we thank you, uh, Lord, for the life of, of Saul who became Paul. We thank you for what you did in him and through him so that today we stand here in this church in Virginia, North America, to say, we want to not let this story end with us. Lord, we want to make sure the story goes on from here. So help us to see these wonderful things that you've put into your word, that we could learn from them and grow from them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Y'all can sit down. <clears throat> My throat's a little dry, so let me grab a sip of water. And uh, I did the little cute thing today. All my uh, major points start with a B and, and have an E in there. So the first one is this, be an encourager, okay? So point one, go ahead, click. There we go. Be an encourager, all right? Now, look at those verses in, in verse 25. He comes to Jerusalem, he attempts to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him. Now, these are guys that have faced down Rome. They have faced down the Sanhedrin. But Saul shows up and it scares them. But the only equivalent I could come up with is, you know, he's, he's at his reward now. But, but if Osama bin Laden was alive and he walked in the church and said, hey, I'm a believer, I'd like to join up. We, I, every guy in here and lady in here with a gun would pull it, you know, and point it at him and go, I don't think so, Tim. You know, this ain't happening. We would have fear. We would be afraid. It was like, no way, you're the terrorist. You want to kill us all. Yeah, just like Saul. He wanted to kill every Christian there was. He hated them. And now he shows up and says, hey, I'd like to join up with you guys. Now he's been off the scene for about three years. The apostles had not heard about him, it seems. And he shows up in Jerusalem and goes, hey, remember me? Guess what God did in my life? And they're like, mm, yeah, I know. You know, they, they just, they're, they're scared. But, but I love, you know, and, and you've heard this guy talked about a lot. And uh, it says, but Barnabas. That's one of the glorious buts of the Bible. You know, there's a lot of buts in the Bible that are glorious, and that's one of them. But Barnabas. Most of them say, but God, and, and those are my favorites. But, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. But check this out. Listen to what he does. So Barnabas is willing to take a chance. He brings him to the disciples, the apostles, and he says, Here's this guy's testimony, and Barnabas says it for him. Now, obviously, Barnabas spent some time with him or something. He could articulate Paul's testimony. I don't know why he didn't get Saul to do it himself. I, I, was, I will keep switching back between Saul and Paul. He's still being called Saul here. And, and he tells his testimony. 
And, and he says, and, and how Jesus spoke to him, and at Damascus he preached boldly. Listen, you guys don't know this, but three years ago, he got saved on the way to Damascus, and he was preaching there, but he had to run for a while, and he's been in the desert. Probably the Bible didn't tell us everything Barnabas said. He probably told him, man, he says he's been in the desert with Jesus for three years, but catch how Barnabas know the guy saved. He had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. That was an indication to Barnabas, that it was real. And we'll come back to Paul preaching boldly. Before we get to that point, I want, I want you to, to catch that you ought to be an encourager like Barnabas. Notice that everybody was afraid of Saul. Now, who is everybody afraid of? Well, we're all afraid of strangers. You know, in today's world, don't we teach our kids, you know, to be afraid of strangers, that's part of upbringing these days, right? And you would be suspicious of a stranger, especially if they looked in appearance like something or someone you fear. But thank God for a Barnabas who says, I don't care about all that. What I care about is what God's done in your life or can do in your life. And so the question becomes, who, who have you befriended? That you don't know. Who in this church have you made an intentional effort? I mean, this happens within the church. Listen, if you're our guest, I'm talking to us folks right now, okay? And, and, and you might want to be a part of our church because we don't pretend like we don't have problems. Okay? Because we all eat up with them, all right? And we just admit that and then we try to deal with it. You got to deal with reality, you know? Amen? It doesn't help any good to just go, oh, I, I went to a funeral yesterday. A friend of mine I served with in our last church, the African-American church. And uh, Bill was loved by all. I looked around the room, there's about three, 400 people in there. I was literally sitting next, next to a, a North American, uh, Native American, uh, uh, whose last name means that he's a direct descendant of Pocahontas. And I looked at him, and I looked up, and I'm white. And there's other. I thought, man, literally in this room, we have red and yellow, black and white and some brown because of Bill. Because Bill was everybody's friend. Bill took care of everybody. Preacher preached, by the way, yesterday. Pastor Mac preached, and we saw six people get saved at that funeral. Oh, man, amen. Hallelujah. That was encouraging. So, you know, I showed up at that church, and the pastor asked me to work with him, and I'm white, and they wasn't. And Bill was Barnabas. When I was accepted by the pastor, when I was accepted by Bill, everybody else said, well, it can't be too bad, so we'll give him a chance. Who is it that you've given a chance to? You know, there's, there's somebody out there God really wants to use, and if you would encourage them and help them. Well, I, I get it. I, I, listen, we just sang a song about the sovereignty of God, and I believe in the sovereignty of God. It happened the way it's supposed to happen because God made sure it happened. But let's just suppose for a minute that Barnabas didn't do that for Saul, and that that was a possibility, that that could, that could have gone that way. Well, 13 books in the Bible wouldn't be there. Churches that were planted across Europe wouldn't be there. The Roman guards that carried Christianity and soldiers that carried Christianity to England wouldn't be there because of a Barnabas who took a chance on a terrorist. 
Now it could have backfired. Saul was fooling everybody. He could have killed Barnabas. So, <laughs> my friend Bill that died, this, it was last Sunday. We, Janice and I were leaving church, and a friend of ours that, that is at that church, a, a very close friend, she comes here sometimes, Donna, you've, you've met her. She, she's not black either. She's white too. Um, and and she, was, she said, pray for Bill. They took him by ambulance. They think he's had a heart attack. And in a few minutes, she texted back and said, Bill's gone. And so I went to the funeral, and they were saying how they, they start their service with, they, they do announcement stuff, then they do this song, and the, the, the church got off rhythm. So I asked Pastor Mackey, I said, how's a black pastor of a black church get off rhythm? He didn't have a good answer. But, um, but Bill would drive Pastor to see his mom down in Charleston, South Carolina, and Pastor's mom had taught Bill what she called the Charleston rhythm of clapping, and I can't do it, and I'm not even going to try to do it. Sometimes when y'all try to clap, I tell Pastor Andy, everybody's clapping on the white beat. He goes, yeah, I heard him. But, because y'all really don't know what you're doing. But anyway, uh, I'm, just, I'm just joking around. But they said, so Bill, Bill went, well, well, no, no, no. And so he taught everybody this rhythm. And they were singing this song about praising God, praising the Lord. And it was wonderful. They said it was just different. For some reason, it was just unusual. Nobody understood that in literally minutes he would be in heaven. And Bill didn't know that. And he led him in worship. And the worship pastor there said, and Bill walked out of church and walked into heaven. Now, isn't that what you want to do? So isn't it worth it to take a chance on somebody? Don't worry. They can't kill you. They can only help you move to heaven. And that's not such a bad thing, is it? I talk to people and say, how you doing? Oh, good. I'm, I'm, still, you know, I'm still above ground. Really, I'm going to be better off when I'm below ground. I'm going to be a lot better off when they plant me. I'm going to be in heaven. And, and I can't wait for that. So let, let me give you a little more detail. A couple of things. Maybe three. Not This won't apply to most of you, and I know that, but it's still a good illustration. On Wednesday night, we have a supper here. And I see, I've seen a couple. I mean, God's been doing this to me about this as I've been studying the sermon. And I, there's a couple. I see them every Wednesday night, and I've never seen anybody else eat with them. I don't even know their name. I don't know who they are. But they come on Wednesday night, put their kids in Awana, and I've never seen anybody talk to them, including me. So I, I'm not fussing, I'm confessing, including me. Why? Because so easy to go to people we already know. So easy to just talk to somebody we know. So easy to go sit with people we know. And we ought to, we ought to fight against our own nature to do that. And we ought, to, we ought to open it up. How about on Sunday morning when you come? Listen, we live in a day of telephones and, and emails and computers and FaceTime and all that. Talk to your friends during the week. Make sure that you make sure that you take care of somebody you've never met before at church on Sunday. I think that would be good. In fact, well, I'm going to stop myself. There's a lot of things we could do. And, and, and we want to do them. We need to start opening our homes so people can meet in homes. And maybe you say, I couldn't teach, I couldn't do any of that, but I'll let you come to my house. Talk to me, okay, please, because we, 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 we need that. But the proof, the proof to Barnabas that Paul was the real deal was he was preaching. And so that brings me to, he was bold in evangelism. Beginning of verse 28, it says, So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem. So obviously the apostles accepted him. Preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists. But they were seeking 
to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Paul was bold. As much as he was a terrorist, he becomes a witness for Christ. He persecuted the church. Now he's a preacher of the church. And he did that immediately. We, we learned that last week. As soon as Paul accept, came to know Christ, immediately he started proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Why? Notice where Paul is in this verse. In this verse, Paul's in Jerusalem. You see, about three plus years before this verse, Paul was in Jerusalem, only he was on the other side of the, of the, of the scene. Because there was a guy named Stephen preaching that Jesus was the Christ. And Paul was the guy that wanted to kill somebody and he made sure Stephen died. Because the Bible lets us know that Paul could not dispute the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. Predicted in the Old Testament that he is the son of God who put on flesh, dwelt among us, lived a perfect life, died for our sin, was buried, rose again on the third day and ascended to heaven and is coming back. And Paul could not dispute that and Paul was the smartest guy alive. I am convinced that Paul was convinced Jesus is the Christ, but it so went against everything he'd ever learned, everything he'd ever known, everything he'd ever been taught, that he didn't want to give in to it. And so he kept fighting and fighting and fighting. And here's, here's my evidence. What did God do when God brought Paul to himself? Jesus reaches down, just goes, pop, knocks him on the ground, right? And Paul goes, I think I know who you are, but just to be sure, who are you? And he said, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. And then he said, it's hard for you to continue to kick against the goads, the pricks. Those, that was a thing they put behind oxen so that as they, if they tried to kick and get out of, the, out of the harness, it would hurt their legs. So they would, they would oh, and they would quit kicking and they would move forward instead of backwards. And, and what Jesus said to him is, I've kept bumping you and you wouldn't listen. So you just made me knock you down so I get your attention. Don't ever make God knock you down. <laughs> not, not fun. And so Saul, man, he becomes a witness and he knows who Jesus is. And immediately he starts proving it. And do you notice something? Paul picks up and he's preaching what Stephen preached in the place Stephen preached it three years later. And now Paul becomes Stephen because they want to kill him too. Pretty interesting. And then he is bold in his witness. He picks up that, that ministry in the same place with the same message. And it provokes a murderous attitude in these people just like before. By the way, these verses cover 15 days. That's it. Paul shows up in Jerusalem 15 days later. They got to help him get out of town. In two weeks time, he got everybody mad. And so the Bible says, so they grabbed him and took him to Caesarea. and said, why don't you go home for a while? He goes to Tarsus. He's gone for 10 years. And one day they said, we need to do something. Barnabas goes, I know a guy. And he goes up there to Tarsus. He gets Saul and says, come on back down. We need, we need to get together on this stuff. And Paul becomes that missionary of the church. And I want to just move on to the last thing. And it says that the church was built up. Now, I wanted to stick with the E word, so I used the Greek word for church, ekklesia. Okay? Built the ekklesia. That's just, now you know some Greek. Ecclesia means the called out ones, but it's the Greek word that is used in the Bible for the church. And the Bible says in verse 31, so the church throughout all Judea and Galatia, Galilee, I'm sorry, and Samaria had peace. Now the, the church had peace. And the way you read that, it would seem like, yeah, we got rid of Saul and so everything calmed down. 
And that was part of it, but that wasn't what happened. What actually happened, yeah, that helped. But what happened is Pilate had been ineffective, and they got rid of Pilate. The Roman government took Pilate out. Herod reinstituted, like, you guys got to calm down. Because the Jewish people now, man, they've tasted blood. They killed Jesus. They killed Stephen. They killed James. And they are trying to persecute the church. They're just, they're getting out of hand. And so Herod goes, no more. And, it's, and he stopped that the persecution from the Jewish people. Roman persecution is going to come later. But he stops that. And the church is like, oh, good, we can breathe. But notice what it says. And the church had peace and was being built up. Do you know how you build a church? What that means? That is done through spiritual giftedness. And by the way, I, I wanted to just point out, you ought to be bold in your witness. I mean, if God did something in your life, you ought to be bold about it. I'll say something more about that at the end. But, but the church had peace and was being built up. That is why God gives you a gift. You say, oh, I'm not very gifted. That's a lie. Because if you are a Christian, if you're saved, if you know Jesus Christ in a very personal way, at the moment he came into your life, he brought a gift with him. The Holy Spirit comes to give you a gift. Now, you may only have one gift. I doubt it, but you may only have one, but you got one gift. And the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14 that the gifts are given to build up the body. It's like exercise to the body. It is what helps Feed and build the church. And we all don't have the same gift. Because that would make everybody but one of us unnecessary. Right? We need different gifts. If you and your husband or wife were the same, one of you would be unnecessary. You're different so that together you make a better whole than either one of you by yourself. That's why you get married, by the way. You don't get married for love. You get married so you can more effectively serve God. I hate to break young people's romantic notions, but if you get married for love, you're in trouble. And if you are married, you better figure that out. That you are called to love one another. That's not an emotion. That's something you're supposed to do all the time, whether you feel like it or not. And out of that love, now you cooperate together and serve God together better because of the love God gives you for each other. But... Back to the gifts building you up. You say, well, I'm not very gifted. I, I hate to use this illustration. I don't really, but I have to say that so you won't be too mad at me. My favorite football team, Clemson Tigers. Their equipment manager. I, I want you to get this picture. Not their assistant equipment manager. Not the guy that helps with the equipment. Their equipment manager has Down syndrome. Now, the world looks at someone that has Down syndrome and wants to push them aside. Wants to say, limit what they think that that person can do. The equipment manager of the national champion, highest ranking college football team has Down syndrome. I don't know what else he can't do, but I know what he can do, and that's manage equipment. To the point that the coach got him tickets to the Super Bowl. And he got to go to the Super Bowl. If God gave you one gift, you know what he wants you to do? He wants you to build the fire out of the church with that one gift. He wants you to use that thing as hard and as well as you can. There's no excuse. But we like to hide our gifts. We 
Man, my, we've had our grandbabies all week, and Janice isn't here today because she's sick now. The kids have been sick this week. And, uh, you know, parents, they have this instinct. Let's leave town and leave them with the grandparents when they grow and get sick. <laughs> They're in Texas this morning. They'll be back late tonight. But, but their mom wrapped a gift for them every day they were gone. And they had a little gift. And, and someday she gave them, like, little boxes of chocolates. I'm like, is she crazy? Why is she doing this? She's killing us over here. But those kids had a gift every day. Do you know every, God's mercies are new every morning. God has a gift for you. And I, have, I never put one of those things down and said, your mom left you a gift. And they went, eh, whatever, and pushed it aside. They're like, oh! man, they're into it. And yet we treat God like that. We're like, eh, whatever. No, God gave you a gift, at least one. Say, well, I don't know what it is. Come see me. Come see Pastor Todd. Come see Pastor Bobby. We got spiritual gift tests. We'll help you figure that out. But, but my point is this. God gave you a gift to build up the church. And then in there we see how the church uses those gifts. Notice what it says in verse 31. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. The fear of the Lord. Man, you say, well, I'm saved. I shouldn't be scared of God. That's not what that word means. That word means a holy reverence, a holy awe of God. I read, I read a quote this week, and again, I put it away. I shouldn't have done it. Um, i got to look for it. It won't take me but a second. I know where it is. Hold on. There we go. There it is. Remember earlier I was talking about Jesus being a dangerous person? I mean, he's a, he, he's a man's man, and he's God. The Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. Right? God is to be feared. You say, well, you're a believer. You don't have to fear God. But I better respect who he is. I read this quote this week. A harmless man is not a good man. A good man is a very, very dangerous man who has it under voluntary control. You see, Jesus has the power to send us all to hell like that. But he's got it under control. And he died for us. And he won't do that. He won't go against his own nature and his own will. He'll send the sinner, or he'll allow the sinner to go to hell. He doesn't send you to hell. You're sending yourself. He offers salvation. He, if you want Jesus, if you want salvation, come to him. And he won't throw you away. He will bring, let you come in. But even as a Christian, I better fear God. God who spoke the worlds into being. God who in fairness ought to send me to hell, but instead saved me so I can go to heaven, I better respect him while I call him father, while I call Jesus my brother, my companion, the lover of my soul. But friend, let me just tell you something. You best not mess with me. I don't mean that literally. Because my brother's the baddest dude on the block. Well, actually the baddest, the block being the universe. You say, I know I mess up. My wife knows me better than any of you at all. She knows every rotten thing about me. So does my mother-in-law, because that's the only person she can talk to about it, right? <laughs> and I like for her to talk to her mother, because her mother goes, that's, he's the best thing ever happened to you. So I love my mother-in-law. And you know what? She knows what a mess up I am. And if you go to her and tell her what a mess up I am, you better be prepared because she's going to tear you one. And then she'll come home and go, did you do that? Are you? And she'll give me the business. But that's in private because she loves me and knows me and wants to help me. But 
She's going to defend me as I will defend her. Even if she messed up, I'll take care of that at home. We'll talk about it later. Listen, God knows I messed up, but I'm his. And if you know him, you're his. And when the devil comes after us, we got a big brother who says, I don't think so. And if God lets Satan in to do something in my life, you know why? Because it's for my good and his glory. And he may need to purify me, may need to help me. It may be how God wants me to get to heaven. By glorifying him, by not giving in to the devil, but living that faithful life. And I need to fear God, but look at the other side of it. And the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Sure, I fear God, but also, he says, so since I am an awful and terrible God, the Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to be your comforter. He's going to guide you and lead you and help you and help you understand that though I am awful and terrible, I have love for you and I pour my love out on you because I'm going to make sure my presence is with you as you walk through this world. Now, somebody loves you is not going to hang out with you, especially when you do things that makes them not want to hang out with you. Right? And so the church, in the fear of God and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, knowing who God is and wanting to know what His will is, they, those are tensions. Those are, those are two things of the same thing. Those two ends of the same thing. And God wants to keep that intention. I mentioned exercise earlier. You know, if you want to build up your body in exercise, you know what else you better do? Rest. It's the tension of that. you got to exercise and rest. we got to fear God and understand He loves us. And those two things together, I'm not going to run to a God that hates me and wants to hurt me. I'm only going to run to a God who wants to help me and show me His will. And God has given us His word. He's given us His presence. This is a, a light to the path that shows us the way to go. But His Spirit living in us is a personal presence when we're in the dark. So I don't have to be afraid. Man, when I was a kid, I was afraid of everything. And, and out back, we had a, we call it the tool shed, this little garage tool shed, a little wooden structure. And in there, we had this old freezer, those kinds that uh, kids would die in because it locks when you close it. We had one of those when I was a kid. I never got inside of it. It was always plugged in. It was too cold. But we were poor. My mom would go buy day-old bread at the day-old bread store. Any of y'all know about that? And she'd bring it home, put it in the freezer. So it'd be 9 o'clock at night, and she's about ready to make us sandwiches for lunch tomorrow. And she would realize she don't have enough bread. And she'd go, Stuart, would you go out to the shed and get some bread? Well, I'm a scaredy cat. It's dark. i got to unlock the door. Inside the light switch, there's wires hanging off of it like that. If I don't touch the wrong wire, you know, shock myself. And plus, when I turn on the light, I'm in Charleston, South Carolina. There's cockroaches that big going to be everywhere. Yes, ma'am. Daddy, would you go with me? Sure, son. Nothing changed. It was still dark, still wires, still cockroaches. And he didn't do anything except walk behind me and stand there while I unlocked the door, turned on the light, opened the freezer, got out the chase the roaches, got out the... Listen, that sounds gross, but if you live in Charleston, you can't get rid of them. I'm just telling you. You can fight them, you can keep them at bay, but that's about it. Get out the bread, close the thing, turn off the light, relock the door, and he'd walk with me back. Nothing changed, but he was with me, so I wasn't scared. You're in a scary place in a dark world, but the comfort of the Holy Spirit is with you. You don't walk alone. 
You've got the light of the word to show you his will. And you've got his presence to help you. And what happens to a church when we encourage one another instead of tear each other down? When we're bold in our witness. And when we understand the fear of God and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Look at the last two words in that verse. It multiplied. It multiplied. It didn't add. I, you know, I think it's demonic to, to do math with Greek letters. I'm not the best mathematician in the world. That's just a joke about algebra, sorry. Um, but I have a fair handling of addition and subtraction, multiplication, and division. And I know this, it's better to multiply than to add if you want to increase. Because it happens faster. And when a church is doing these things, and it's not that we can just do them. You know, the farmer can plow the ground and, and fertilize the ground and water the ground if it's dry. This past year, you know, we had to get fans out and dry the ground. But... You know, you can do all those things, but the one thing a farmer can't do is make a seed germinate and grow. All he can do is make the conditions ready for a seed to germinate and grow. And if it's a good seed, it will. If it's a bad seed, it won't. And so what we need is to say, God, where do you want to plant us? Where do you want us to operate? Where, where are we going to grow and produce fruit? What are you doing with us? And when we figure that out, and we walk in these principles of being encouraging to one another. For goodness sake, can't we help each other out? I started to tell you about that funeral because another man that I worked with that was there that day. And he, listen, my wife asked me, how do you feel? And I go, I don't know, because I don't. I got to stop and think about how I feel, because I just don't feel. I don't know what, what that is. It sounds horrible, but just go with me with it. But, but Nelson, man, that's the most tender-hearted guy I ever met. And Nelson jumped on that ambulance with his best friend, Bill. So I walked up to his wife at the funeral, and I said, how's Nelson? Oh, he's great. I said, Nelson is a feeling, caring man, and he got on the ambulance with Bill. How's Nelson? She said, he's struggling. She gave me the church answer, and then I asked the second question. She knew I understood. She said, he's really struggling. Friend, he needed some encouragement. I put my arm around him later. I said, Nelson, man, I know this is tough. I know you got on that ambulance and you were with Bill. He said, just one more thing. Yep, yep, yep. I said, man, I've been praying for you this week. Because I know that, that how much that hurt you. How, how hard that was to be there with your friend. He, you know, and he was glad he could be there for him and with him. What if we encouraged one another? What if we went out and did evangelism? What if... What if we really feared God and sought the comfort of the Holy Spirit? Well, what would happen? Oh, I don't know. Maybe we'd multiply. What can you do this week? Well, make a new friend at church and introduce them to your circle of friends. There's only about 60 people you can hang out with anyway. Add one more. There's probably somebody in your group you need to lose anyway. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Just trying to make it so you remember it. Make a new friend. Somebody you don't know. You can just walk up and say, hey, I'm a member here. I just joined or I've been here 20 years. I don't even know you. Are you a member? Are you visiting? What's the deal? You know, you, you might not say it as bluntly as that, but you, you can just do that. The second one about being a bold witness, guess what? Six o'clock tonight, you can come learn how to be. Now, I get that. There, there, there are different kinds of people that, that will share their faith. Uh, and... and and there are people that are real shy. Like if, if, if you walked up to them and said, do you know about Jesus? They'd go, I, I go to church. 
You know, they'd be scared to talk about the Lord just because they're shy. And I get that. Then there's people that say, oh, yeah, you know, and they, they carry on a the conversation. Then you got your meat eaters. They just walk out the locked door and go, boom, I'm going to tell you about Jesus whether you want to hear it or not. Well, the meat eaters are going to come anyway tonight. But maybe you're that shy person. Listen, this will be encouraging to you. It's just how to take a normal conversation and lead it to talking about Jesus. So come. And then the last thing I'd say is use your gifts to build up the church. You've got a gift. And if you're just showing up, sitting through, and then going home, that's not going to help the church. You say, well, I've tried to get involved, and, and I'm having, I can't seem to get involved. Okay, I, I, I accept that. I, I get that. I, I don't know all those answers, but we're going to work on it. We're going to do our best to make sure you can exercise your spiritual gift here at this church. And it'll just, just be patient with us as we're patient with, with you. Because we want to see the church multiply, not just in these buildings, but the church to multiply in this community, in this state, in this nation, in this world. And that'll happen if we walk with God, encouraging one another, witnessing about Christ, loving one another, fearing God, and finding his will for our lives.